Hiking My Feelings Virtual Campfire. My name is Sydney. This is Virtual Campfire number 45, which is wild. Um, we have an awesome show lined up for you guys today. We are excited to welcome a new partner to the Take a Hike Diabetes Campaign, and we have an excellent conversation happening about diversity and diabetes and how we can um, have more collaboration in the diabetes community. So to kick things off, let's give a quick update about where we're at on the Take a Hike Diabetes Campaign. If you are unfamiliar, if you're new to this corner of the internet, then welcome. The Take a Hike Diabetes Campaign is our initiative for 2021 and probably the rest of my life as far as I'm concerned. Um, and we are on a mission to hike 1 million miles for diabetes awareness this year. And so far we have logged 8,289 miles we have 115 participants signed up and we've raised $9,595,000 for diabetes awareness and for the Take a Hike Diabetes Campaign. So we can come to a town near you and do some hikes and show you the healing power of nature and how hiking can be a really great tool for diabetes prevention and management. So you might notice if you've been around here a while, uh, we got a new sponsor logo down there at the bottom. So I'm excited to welcome John from UST. They are our newest partner for the Take a Hike Diabetes Campaign. And we're gonna chat a little bit about how they're supporting the initiative, what they've got going on and how you can get involved. So John, come on down. <laughs> I did it. Mm -hmm. Perfect. You win, you nailed it. So everybody, this is John. John, tell me about you. Like, who are you? And um, then we'll go from there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm just an avid outdoors person. I have been my whole life. Uh, grew up in the outdoors. Uh, my whole family was, you know, outside uh, pretty much since I can remember, you know, like camping and floating and hiking since I was a little baby. And uh, so yeah, now I'm the brand manager for UST. And so we're based in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, yeah, I'm just loving uh, kind of launching our new brand direction and, and finding cool cool partners and cool causes to team up with. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of what brings me to this point. Yeah. And so for folks that might not be familiar, I was introduced to UST by our mutual friend, Gabaccia. And she was like, hey, this company is awesome. They're doing really cool things. Your nonprofit is awesome. We're doing really cool things. Y'all should make magic. And I was like, thank you. Um, we will do that. <laughs> so I was interested well our for everybody that's listening our first conversation um john mentioned that he's in currently in columbia missouri if you are unaware um i am from kansas and i am a former jayhawk <laughs> and john is in tiger tongue country and our first conversation i was like yeah so i was like a former jayhawk and the guys were like okay and i was like I think we can still do business though, right? Like it's fine. <laughs> there are very few things that are worth putting that aside. And I think that this is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. Yep. For the folks that don't know or who are unaware, um, Kansas and Missouri, the University of Kansas and the University of Missouri have 
uh, a long rivalry. Obviously, we're neighbors state to state, but they have what is called the border war between Kansas and Missouri because folks that don't live in the area are like, Kansas City, is that in Kansas or Missouri? And it's both. It's so confusing. So um, we put our uh, collegiate affiliations aside, and now we're here. Yeah, for now. Yeah, for now. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. It's like, if this campaign goes well, we continue to put it aside. If it doesn't, it's because you're Jay Buck. Bye-bye. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, so tell me, what? Say that again? I said, we're just really excited. Uh, what you're doing is awesome. Thank you. Um, so I want to hear a little bit about the history of um, UST because you mentioned that you guys just rebranded. So like, take us through the history of UST, what you guys have been up to and where you're headed next. Yeah, yeah. So it's a long history. The brand has been around since 1936. So it's, it's got a long straight history. Um, it started, you know, kind of in the survival realm, more in the survival realm. And uh, recently, uh, the brand moved from Jacksonville up to Columbia, Missouri, where we are now. And that's kind of when I started and when most of our team that's working uh, on the project now started about two years ago or so. And, um, you know, the previous I want to say like five, 10, 15 years, uh, the brand had been shifting from the survival, you know, think like Bear Grylls kind of survival-ish uh, stuff. We'd been shifting more into the camping realm and camp, camp accessory realm. And uh, so whenever we got on board two years ago, we were like, let's keep going this camp, this camping direction. It makes a ton of sense. The camping industry is thriving. It's doing really well. And so we still have a lot of our survival roots as a brand, you know, being from the 1936, there's a lot there. Uh, but we're excited about the new direction that we're going. You know, like you said, we did we did a really big rebrand effort, uh, new brand direction. So new colors, new logo, uh, all sorts of cool stuff. The best part about that was we got to set kind of a new direction and a new tone for uh, what the brand, like what's important to the brand, the brand personality and, and the things that we value as the employees and as the brand. So that's been a really fun process and uh, it's still kind of ongoing. Um, but yeah, this, this year recently, the most recent thing is that we've gotten into camping tents and sleeping mats and some of the bigger ticket uh, camping items. So uh, we've seen a lot of really good feedback and we're really excited about that. Awesome. I think one of the cool things um, that was so interesting to me is just one, it's 1936. Like there, I, I don't know of a lot of companies that like just still exist after that long, let alone can rebrand in such a powerful and strategic way. One of the things that um, makes me so excited about UST is your storyteller series, because you guys have all kinds of outdoors enthusiasts um, showing their, their, like, their outdoorsy life. And I recently, I think Becky's was one of the recent ones, Becky from uh, Solomon, and they're another one of our partners for Take a Hike Diabetes. And I really like how a lot of the Solomon squad is on <laughs> the USC storyteller series. Like these brands just play really well together. Um, so tell everybody a little bit about storytellers and the idea behind that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of really good overlap. I think it's just good, good people are, are finding each other is, is kind of how it works. So yeah, it's, it's cool to see. Uh, yeah. The storyteller series is, it comes from the fact that, you know, when we were looking at this new direction, you know, a couple of years back, we were trying to think of the the best way to speak to our our brand fans and our people, and and we thought that by telling the stories of our you know our ambassadors, we call them our storytellers, telling those stories, telling the stories of of the people who use the the product, 
was the best route to go because that's what people want to see and it's what they relate to. And so it's really fun to find these like cool, inspiring stories to get to share with people. And yeah, Becky's was the most recent one and we've got some more uh, on the way. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. Yay. And I, um, the, <laughs> so when we first got connected, I was like, so hi, I'm like, I'm Sydney Williams and we're doing this like month long campaign and it's called Take a Hike Diabetes. Um, would you guys be interested? And you're like, yes, here's a tent. Here's a sleeping bag. <laughs> it was like the coolest thing. And so one of our community members won that. And then um, we've got some really cool prizes coming up for this campaign too. So I wanted to show people what you guys are throwing in. Cause not only are you giving us um, or giving the community some great gear, um, you're also doing a donation match as well. So welcome to the family, Hiking My Feelings, UST. We're glad to have you here. Um, so the prizes that we have every month, like every month there's a tent. And so tell me, tell everybody a little bit about this house party tent because it is ginormous. Like it is a six person tent. Um, so what's the idea behind this? Cause this is also one of your new products, right? Yeah. Yeah. The thing about the house party series is a four person and a six person tent. And our approach to these was that we wanted to make it really comfortable and really inviting, uh, really easy to set up and really easy to use. Um, because one of our core values is to make the outdoors as accessible as possible uh, and as comfortable as possible. And so uh, we just wanted to make it something that everybody could use that was really, really easy to put up and, and super, super comfy, kind of car camping. Uh, we're not necessarily about being like the most aggressive, you know, summit every peak kind of uh, approach to how we recreate outside. I mean, some of our some of our people do that and that's totally cool, but uh, we're kind of about trying to make it a little bit more approachable and accessible. Yeah, that's the six there. Uh, uh, and so you can see, it's just, it's really huge. You can stand up in there. Uh, that's Tony uh, bent over there, high five and his son, Tony Jr. And Tony's like six, three or six, four. And I think he can pretty well stand up in there, so. Yeah, I was looking at the dimensions and I think the interior was six, three and I'm like, okay, tall people, you got a place to party now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the house party, yep. That's it. Yeah, that's rad. So in order to be eligible to win one of these, um, all you have to do is log four activities for take a hike diabetes. And one of the things that uh, we like to make clear here, and I'll stop sharing for a second. Um, when it comes to our challenge, like it's, the campaign's called take a hike diabetes, but one, we're not picky about what a hike means. Like we're showcasing um, urban backpacking adventures this summer for the very reason that like you can hike anywhere. It's really about the intention behind the movement that makes a hike a hike. Like you could hike on concrete, you can hike up a mountain, but it's not just one thing. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're so stoked to partner with you guys as well from the accessibility piece is it needs to be more accessible. Like the entire route behind Take a Hike Diabetes is the fact that we heard from so many people of color on the road in 2019 on our last tour that they just don't feel safe or represented or welcome in the outdoors. And those folks all come from the same communities where diabetes is the highest prevalence in America. So it's like, if we can get people outside feeling safe and awesome and like recreating responsibly, then community health should improve. Like, I know there's a lot of nuance to that, but it, it really is that simple. Um, of course it won't be easy because there are so many things involved in getting people outside, but it is simple. So um, when we say for activities, we don't have a minimum for mileage. We don't have a way that you hike. You don't even have to hike. Like if you want to walk, call it what you want. Walk, run, hike, 
roll if you're in a wheelchair. We want this to be as accessible for as many people as possible. Get on a bike, do whatever. Um, we say hike because we're hiking my feelings. So that's what we're doing. But four activities a month, like that's a hike a week. And so we're, what we're trying to do is to get people into developing healthy habits that are sustainable, that they can continue for hopefully the rest of their life. So four activities a month get you entered to win the six person house party tent. And every activity that you do outside of that gets you another entry. So it's pretty swank. Let's chat about what else we got coming up. So grand prize, this stuff's wild. Like I, I'm just so honestly overwhelmed with what we've got going on for this campaign in UST. So a tent, a sleeping bed, a sleeping pad, cooking setup, and solar lights. The trash truck is here at H Hot Deli. You want to walk us through some of those products and I'll mute myself while they do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it's the tent. Uh, you know, we have a whole, like I, like I said earlier, a whole new line of bigger ticket, uh, like core camping items. Our sleeping bag is, uh, it's adjustable, so it's got wings on it. So it does a whole temperature range. Uh, so you can bring it, you know, on colder nights or warmer nights and, and adjust it. So the goal there being, you know, one sleeping bag will kind of uh, do the trick for you. You don't need to buy uh, multiple, multiple things for different uh, temperatures. So sleeping bag, sleeping pad, that's been probably our biggest uh, runaway success so far is the, the Filmatic sleeping mat. It's super comfortable. It's like four inches thick. Uh, it's got really cool like art print on it that our designer Anton sketched up. Uh, so just really cool, comfortable sleeping pad. People have been loving those. And then, yeah, there's, it's kind of a, a hodgepodge uh, mix of our cooking, camp cook. You know, we do a lot of accessory stuff. Uh, so camp cook, uh, stove, that sort of stuff, and uh, some lights as well. You know, that's one of our biggest hits up until recently. You know, our lights have been really popular for a long time. So kind of the whole the whole thing. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, every activity that you log during Take a Hike Diabetes will get you an entry into winning um, this grand prize. And this is a grand prize. Like I didn't do the math on the value of this, but it's kind of bananas. And also if you have no equipment whatsoever, you're going to be like so set <laughs> to, to hike and camp and just have an awesome time. So um, every activity you log during Take a Hike Diabetes is an entry. So join us if you haven't yet. It's at hikingmyfeelings.org slash diabetes is where you can get more information about that. And similar to our friends at Solomon, for the next $5,000 raised within the Kilter app, UST is matching those donations. So guys, between Solomon and UST, the next $10,000 we raise is being matched. Your donation goes twice as far. Um, I like coming from a gal who put the entire first year of this project on my credit cards, which is not a smart way to finance a business. Um, I am just overwhelmed by the support. Honestly, John, like I... I was excited when Gabachi introduced us. I was really stoked to get a tent and a sleeping pad for the first challenge back in November. And then just talking with you and Ethan and the team at uh, UST, I am just, I, I'm flabbergasted, honestly. So thank you for believing in what we're doing. Um, there, the, I mean, this is cool for hiking my feelings, but also it is just so, so cool for the diabetes community. Um, this is something that I was talking to Becky about from Solomon when we introduced them as a partner as well is like, as far as I know, the outdoors industry has not done any kind of initiatives um, around diabetes. And this is a population of 122 million Americans. Someone's being diagnosed every 23 seconds. Somebody dies every eight seconds around the world from this disease. It's not going anywhere. In fact, it's getting worse. Um, so to be able to be part of 
this, which I, like I myself have lived and breathed the healing power of nature. Um, and I know you guys get it too. So thank you so much for your support. Um, we like quite literally couldn't do it without you. And it's really nice to be able to say that. So, um, for folks that are unfamiliar with you or UST, like what would be your tip for somebody that's listening that like, maybe they just, they don't have anything, um, like no gear whatsoever. If they're starting to think about like, oh, I'd like to go camping or I'd like to start hiking. Like what in your world, like what's the first piece of equipment you should invest in as far as like camping and backpacking and stuff like that goes? That's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, it's obviously going to vary between which activity you're pursuing. You know, if it's just camping, like car camping or something like that, I think, uh, you know, the tent and the sleeping bag make a really big difference. Uh, the air mat as well. I know that's three things, but what I will say is if, if you are on a really strict budget, uh, trying to get into it, um, whatever gear you can get, whatever gear, gear you have is better than nothing, as long as it's still safe. So I would say, make sure that you're meeting those, the threshold of safety and, and temperature and weather and all that, that, those sorts of things, but you don't need to have the most expensive, you know, high-tech gear to get outside. Uh, so I would say even, you know, used gear, uh, anything you have access to, I mean, you can bring stuff from your house, as long as your tent doesn't leak. Uh, you can bring your comforter from your house and bring your pillows and, and all that sort of stuff if you're car camping. Whatever gets you outside is the best gear uh, to, to go with. I'd say the dry tent though is probably probably number one. Yeah, because I mean, when we did our first trip to Joshua Tree, we got like some, for our first camping trip at Joshua Tree, we got like some humongous tent from Walmart and like we brought our a, a foam topper that was on our bed and our blankets and our like bed pillows and it was it was enough it was perfect and like you bundle up and you you know you have your cooler and stuff um so for people that are just like so completely brand new to this what's what is car camping and how is that different from like backpacking and all these other things yeah yeah car camping is just you know a phrase kind of talking about uh camping close to your vehicle or near your vehicle somewhere that's really accessible roadside uh campground with a, a spot for you to park uh, you know, backpacking, anything else, there are varying degrees, you know, float trip, uh, camping on float trips. There are all sorts of different uh, degrees of camping and remoteness and, and distance from a trailhead or distance from a road or anything like that. Car camping is just the most accessible thing where you're driving up to the campsite uh, and maybe walking a little bit, but uh, it, it's just really accessible. Yeah, we do car camping for our retreats in Joshua Tree National Park. We have a, there's a secret campground that's not even on the map that they reserve for in-park events and for park staff. And car camping is so rad. Like it's, I mean, you can make it as fancy as you want to, right? Like you can pack your literal entire car full of stuff. Like we had people bring lights and pillows and blow up mattresses and all kinds of stuff. Like you can, you can really make it super comfortable. So thank you for the difference there. Um, so if you, one of the things like our theme for this week or for this month rather um, is collaboration versus competition. And what that's a big thing that we're into here. Like I've always said, like I have no desire for like world domination. I just wanna get the whole world to collaborate and love each other. Um, easier said than done. But when you think of collaboration in the outdoor space, what are you excited about? And what would you like to see more of between brands, between organizations? Um, and with your ambassadors? That's a good question. I think right now, you know, I've, I've been a part 
for better or worse, I've been a part of the outdoor industry since I was a little kid, basically, you know, growing up like in a gear shop, essentially. And, and I've seen the, in, the industry for 15, 15 or 20 years now. Uh, and right now is probably the most exciting time that I've seen for collaboration. And I think it's technology, it's kind of the movements for accessibility, diversity, inclusion, uh, equity, all these conversations that are finally starting to happen in the outdoor space, you know, we, we were definitely not at the forefront of a lot of the conversations, uh, but it seems like a lot of it's happening now. And a lot of these things are, are creating really, really awesome opportunities to partner with important causes and important brands and important people. And uh, it's just, it's a really cool time right now. So I think in general, just everywhere I look, there's another cool collaboration going on. So every time I, I see anything, it's just exciting. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I've, I haven't been in the space for that long, but I think just in general, I feel like these conversations that have needed to be at the forefront for way longer than they have been, like all of this stuff is not a trend, but it is trending currently. Um, it's, I, I don't see any downside. I see only up, like there's only, more to be gained by including different voices and to highlight different voices and get new people into the spotlight. And I just love everything I see from UST. So thank you for being, I think, I don't know if you meant like the industry is not leading these conversations or if you meant UST is not, but I see what you guys are doing and I appreciate it very much. So thanks for creating opportunities for other people to join and be part of it. New and like seasoned outdoorsy people alike. I think that's an important part of it. Like you don't have to be bagging 14ers all summer long to be qualified to be an uh, outdoors person. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, that's super spot on. And I think, you know, anything you want to count as being outdoorsy, quote unquote outdoorsy, it is what it, whatever you want to make it, it's, it's what, what it is to you. So that's, that's what we're trying to, trying to be about. Yeah. And my, one of my last questions, and I'm sure I have more when we're done here, but um, one of the things I like to ask everybody is there's just so much going on in the world right now. Um, the stuff with the murders in Atlanta, like absolutely outrageous. And then of course, last year, George Floyd and Brianna and all of the social justice and then like economic justice and environmental justice. There's so many things going on in the world. If you had a magic wand for something that's on your heart and mind um, where you could just wave it and things would be different, people would be better at something or they'd understand something, what what would your magic wand fix or enhance um, if you had one to wave? Oh, wow, that's huge. <laughs> that's a massive question. Um, you know, it, it is like, it's so easy to get overwhelmed and just feel bummed out about like literally everything, <laughs> especially this past year, but it's, it's not new, none of it's new. Um, I think in general, the approach kind of what we're doing with UST and, and what you're trying to do, you know, the alignment that we have there with just getting people to experience nature. If I could just make it so that everybody could like have natural experiences and be in nature growing up and, and have that as a, like a skill or an ability or whatever it is to know how powerful that is. That's what I would try to do. I think it would, it would help a lot. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So you are a fly fisher slash angler. Is that correct? Tell yeah. us a little bit about how you got into that. Is that something you've been doing your entire life or is this new for you? Yeah. Yeah. Fly fishing is for sure my most like, uh, avid activity outside right now. Uh, 
I started when I was a little kid. I was really lucky growing up. My dad was a kayaker, fisherman, everything. So I started fly fishing when I was a little kid and I've been doing it my whole life. And being in the Ozarks here in Missouri, it's just, there's a lot of accessible fly fishing. So I do a lot of that. Whitewater is my other passion. Uh, there's less of that here. So I still try to get out as much as I can, but we have a little bit. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, let me see what we got. I think I have donation matching. Yes. That was my last, I think that's my, my screen is weird. Okay. So, and then the last thing. Um, so as you guys know, or if you don't, if you go to hikingmyfeelings.org slash diabetes, you will find the link to join the Million Mile Challenge. This is hosted by our friends at Kilter Rewards. Kilter is an app that you download and it syncs with your favorite fitness tracker. Currently Strava, Garmin, MapMyRun, Apple Health, Google Fit, and Fitbit are supported. So once you go to the website, you register, Maybe you join Team UST Gear. I would highly encourage you to do so. Um, register on Kilter, pick their team, sync your fitness tracker, start tracking activities towards our million mile goal. It is that simple. Um, if you have any issues getting connected or registering or anything, you can send us a message on our contact form on our website on the hikingmyfeelings.org slash diabetes page and Team UST Gear again. These guys, y'all just join the team, support them big time. Everybody is eligible to win. You don't have to be on Team UST gear to win, but join the team, um, make your donations, ask your friends and family to support your miles. If you're doing big hikes this year, we'd love to have you. If you're walking, rolling, running, rucking, whatever it may be, um, be sure to join us. John, any uh, final words about why you're throwing all your resources and hiking my feelings and helping us out because I'm just like I love it and I am just so thankful for your support yeah yeah no we're just really really excited about what you have going on and you know it, it's all about the accessibility aspect of it and the health benefits of getting outside and it the alignment is so perfect between you know what you're doing and what we're doing that it just it makes all the sense in the world and you know, I wish that we could partner with every, every single organization and every cause that's doing really cool stuff. Cause like you said, there's so many of them. Uh, but I'm just happy that, that, that this is, this is happening. So. Yeah. So the team is open. We'll have some more information. We're probably going to do some other announcements with UST um, on their side of things as we get ramped up here, but you can join the team. It's available to join those uh, the next 5,000 well next 10,000 total in donations is being matched 5,000 of that from our friends here at UST and 5,000 from Solomon. So thank you again, John. It was so awesome to have you here. Um, any parting words before we send you on your way, where can people find you and like stay in touch with you as a person and UST as a brand? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, Instagram is probably the best, uh, for UST and for myself, mine is just my name. And then, uh, UST is UST gear. So at UST gear is where you can find us on Instagram pretty much anything we do, we'll share about it on Instagram as a brand. Uh, also the website though, ustgear.com. So perfect. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We appreciate you. And, uh, for the people that are planning on joining us on the road, uh, UST is going to have a presence of some sort. We're figuring out what the health restrictions and guidelines look like for Chicago, but that opening weekend, for Chicago one it's my birthday so like Thursday night Sydney's birthday first virtual campfire UST in the house Friday is UST trails day so like UST just like hiking making people happy making magic happen 
And then Saturday is actual National Trails Day, the 5th. And then we're doing a uh, brunch with our friends at Beyond Meat on Sunday morning. So if anybody is in or around Chicago, if you want to come backpack around the city with us, we are backpacking the Chicago Outer Belt. It is 220 miles long. We start on June 1st, we end on June 20th, and UST is going to be in the house for the first weekend. So in some capacity, whether it's you or you send Gabaccio with her camera, or I don't know what she's doing, but we got things going and we're excited to see you guys. So thank you so much for your support and welcome to the family. Thank you. Yeah, we'll see ya. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So tonight, uh, our next guest, we have some incredible people. Before we jump into our chat about diabetes and collaboration in the community, um, I just wanted to share a couple other updates about Take a Hike Diabetes. So we just talked about our tour through Chicago. So as we mentioned at the beginning of all this, if you go to hikingmyfeelings.org slash diabetes, you can see all of the cool stuff we've got going on. We have a free 30-day program that you can join that um, walks people through mindfulness, nutrition, and movement as three factors that impact blood sugar levels in the body. And we offer tips and tricks and videos and interviews and worksheets and resources and all kinds of cool stuff to help you live life with diabetes, caring for someone with diabetes or working to prevent it in mindful, healthy ways. And so you can join that program. It is free, it's available on demand and it's structured as a 30 day program, but you can do it as many times as you want and take as long as you want to go through it. So join us for the free 30-day program. Also, you can join us for our Million Mile Activity Challenge, which is what we were talking about earlier with John. Um, Team UST gear is now open and ready to be joined. So if you want to represent Team UST, you can join that team on the Kilter app. So you pay your registration fee, get your cool swag from us. We have glow-in-the-dark water bottles. We have really cool hats as registration um, gifts. And then you sync your fitness tracker and every hike, walk, run, rolling workout, bike ride, whatever you want to do, um, counts towards our goal of hiking 1 million miles for diabetes awareness. And then we also have the take a hike diabetes tour, which starts in June in Chicago. So like I said, we're doing a 220 mile hike around the city of Chicago, starting June 1st through the 20th. That's on the Chicago outer belt. It's a backpacking loop created by the outer belt Alliance that goes around the city and it connects existing pedestrian walkways and trail systems and forest preserves and green spaces. And it's just so cool. Um, so we'll have Jay from the Outer Belt on shortly, um, sometime before we get to Chicago and he'll definitely be on while we're in Chicago. So stay tuned for that. Um, that's June 1st through the 20th in Chicago. And then after that, we are going to Michigan. So we're hiking from Lake Michigan into Detroit on the Lake to Lake and Iron Bell Trails. It's like a 250 something mile journey. And that's July 1st through the 17th. And then we are also doing a hike around Washington DC the week after Labor Day. So September 13th through 17th, we're hiking, I think it's like 40 or 50 miles around the DC metro area to um, raise awareness for diabetes there as well. We have a lot of great organizations that have a home base in the DC, Virginia, metro area so we're looking forward to chatting with those folks but up next i'm excited to announce uh and bring you here we have keisha uh umemba and we have casey creel and we have tiara smith hi come on down cameras on let me see your pretty faces i'm so excited thank you for being here how is everybody hi doing good thanks for having us 
Yeah. Yes. Well, thanks. Oh my gosh. I love it. Look at these faces. It's so nice to have you here. So one of the reasons that I am aware of your work, all of you, I met Tiara through um, Beyond Type 2, and then she introduced me to Quisha and Casey. And I'm just like, what is happening? These powerhouse <laughs> women in this space. Um, our theme for this month is collaboration versus competition. So my intention with gathering all of us here is kind of building off a conversation that um, Milo is having on her Instagram stories and um, reels about this infighting that's happening in the diabetes space between types, um, how we can collaborate more and hopefully bring some unity back to the diabetes community. And um, I had also written an article on Healthline about that as well. But before we jump into our conversation, I'd love to just go around the table and introduce ourselves. I could read your bios, they're wildly impressive, um, but I'd love to hear it from your mouths. So let's start with you, Quisha. Uh, who are you, where are you from, and um, what kind of work do you do? Well, hello, ladies. Girl power, <laughs> who runs the world, girls. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I'm so happy to be here with you all this evening. My name is Quisha Omemba. I'm located in Austin, Texas. Uh, I am the co-founder of Diversity and Diabetes. My co-founder is there, Ms. Casey Creel. I'm a registered nurse with a background in public health. I also am a certified diabetes care and education specialist. Uh, and as of, I guess, a few months when we launched our nonprofit, I'm also a diversity, inclusion, and equity consultant as well. So Really excited to be talking about how we can unite for a common cause this evening. Yes, thank you for being here. Casey, how about you? Yeah, hey everyone. Hey guys, good to see y'all. Um, so my name's Casey. I am located in Austin, Texas as well. I'm a born and raised Texan. Um, I uh, kind of have gotten my motivation with working in the community because I personally have type one. I've had it since I was seven years old. Um, and so just the, the benefits that, um, you know, my parents have been able to bless me with has really helped me um, just want to give back. And so, um, you know, I'm working to become a certified diabetes care and education specialist, I'm getting my master's right now at Teachers College. Um, and I'm also a, a medical assistant um, at a, a whole food plant-based clinic here in Austin. So, and I'm the co-founder of Diversity and Diabetes as well. Yes. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions about di diabetes educators. We're going to have to talk about that. Tiara, how about you? Yeah. Um, my name is Tiara Smith. I'm the senior project manager of Beyond Type 2. I'm also a nutritionist. Um, and I have diabetes. I was misdiagnosed with type 2. Later found out that I had type 1 diabetes, uh, type 1 LADA specifically. Um, I'm passionate about this topic in particular because I do see a lot of the infighting um, and I do think there's a way for the type one and type two communities to come together, but I also think that there should be some, uh, I guess, realities to be acknowledged about how people with type two are treated in general. So I'm excited to contribute to this conversation. And also I'm based um, in the Bay Area, but I am from Baltimore, Maryland. Fantastic. So we'll be, we'll be trucking through your hometown later. Well, <laughs> DC, close enough, I suppose. Yeah, close enough. Um, yeah, so... First of all, let's let's get the diabetes educator questions out of the way because I want to be one and I don't know what I need to do to get there because every resource that I've looked at makes it sound like I need to have a medical degree. So can we talk about what a diabetes educator is? Um, and maybe, uh, Quisha, too, tell us a little bit about Umeba Health and then we'll go from there. 
Okay. Um, I should have pulled up the website. So used to be called Certified Diabetes Educator. Recently, the name changed about a year ago to Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist. Um, you know, it is a lot easier to become a, a CDC, yes, if you have an RD or you have an RN. However, there are some alternative routes. So it just depends on what's your degree and your background. My degree is uh, mass communications with a specification or specialty in uh, public relations. Okay, so you would definitely have to go on the website, download the, um, the certification brochure and see if that's one of the degree tracks that will allow you to sit for the exam. So um, used to be when I got it, it was 2000 hours. Now it's a thousand hours of patient education that you have to provide. Uh, a lot of people actually have a hard time getting those hours. So that's one of the reasons why we're focusing on increasing the number of diverse diabetes um, educators with our nonprofit is because we do know that that hinders people of color from becoming diabetes educators. So um, the website to go on is cdces.org. Let me make sure I'm giving it to you right. I'll pull it up real quick so you, um, your viewers can all the information. But and I can talk in the mean. They just changed their name to National Certifying Board. Yeah, I can talk a little bit um, as well. So I am not a registered dietitian. I just have a bachelor's in nutrition um, and I don't plan on continuing to get my RD certification, but um, through my master's with Teachers College at Columbia, it's a, a master's in diabetes care and management. And so- uh, That's can, a thing? Yeah, it is. That it is, is a thing. so cool. Yes, definitely look it up. It's amazing. Um, Jane Dickinson is the um, director. She's amazing in the community as well. She really has a lot of work around um, the language with diabetes um, and just patient, uh, person-centered approach. Um, so that's the way you could go as well. Yeah, thank you, Casey. And I put that, the uh, website in the chat is too many acronyms. So it's cbdce.org. Again, they just changed it also when we changed the name. So it's hard for me to remember what it is, but all of the information is there. And I think your program at Teachers College, isn't that fairly new, Casey? It's only a few years old, right? So it is actually, um, it's it's about 10 years old, um, but they are really starting to get just the word out there. Um, they've relied heavily on word of mouth throughout the community and throughout the um, professional space in the diabetes area. So they're getting out there. <laughs> and I will say this about just kind of the direction of diabetes care and education specialist. So when that name changed a year ago, I won't forget, I'll never forget when they announced it at the 2019 mm -hmm. uh, conference, there was a lot of backlash and people were like, oh, the doctors just figured out who we are. We're not going to change. I don't want to change it, you know, but for me, someone that wasn't doing diabetes education, I've been, you know, from an administrative or a consultative role for the last, you know, five, seven years. And so for me, I was like, diabetes care and education specialist, that really encompasses more of what I do. Yeah. And so I really, I like the new direction. I think that, you know, if you're in population health or administration, or um, you're providing, you know, technical assistance to other organizations, or if you're doing advocacy work, which is, yeah. you know, kind of where we see ourselves at now, um, I think it really does encompass so much more. And actually, when they changed the name, it kind of gave me the excuse to not have to keep up with the latest drugs and treatments and all of that stuff. Because I really, really felt bad. Like, what kind of diabetes educator am I? I don't even know how many classes of diabetes medication <laughs> But now it's like, no, I'm in administration. So I don't have to know all of that. But I do know how you can build for your program, how to develop your program. 
you know, how to recruit, retain, engage your participants. So, um, so I do like the, the new direction and I will say, you know, it's, it's very much like nurturing. There's so many avenues that you can go into if yeah. you want to specialize in the area. So I don't want people to think, oh, diabetes educator, that's all you're going to do. There's so much more to it than that. Yes. And you were, uh, one of the things that you mentioned was that you were looking for volunteers for diversity and diabetes. What does that opportunity look like? And what are you looking for in a volunteer? Great question. And since Casey is our resident volunteer <laughs> coordinator as of today, <laughs> I, will, I will defer that question to her because she's, she's really overseeing our onboarding process right now. Yeah, thanks so much for that question. Um, so currently we have three teams. Um, within the volunteer space. And those teams are uh, social media or communications, um, event planning and admin. Um, so administration, um, TR is actually on our social media um, team. So that's amazing, super helpful for sure. Um, and so just, you know, we, we understand that you it is a volunteering role. And so whatever hours you can give us, we're so grateful for anything. Um, just, you know, whatever you can communicate, whatever you can um, help, you know, passion just really shines through whenever you're helping with this, you know, art organization. And so um, that's what we're looking for is people who are really, um, you know, resonates with our mission and what we are doing at Diversity and Diabetes and um, just the people that we are trying to reach. Um, so if we feel like, you know, we align in those views and you're really passionate about um, getting the word out there and doing, doing the work, then you're on, you're on board. <laughs> and, and right now I will say, thank you, Casey, for that. Um, we need board members. So yeah. I'm putting that out there. We're in need of board members. We're in need of uh, working board members, which all of us are. are well, Barry is our other board member. He's not with us mm -hmm. tonight because it's just girl time. Um, but mm -hmm. we, um, you know, all three of us work. We have a number of different projects. Casey goes to school full time. You know, we're trying to run a nonprofit. Um, we're doing a really good job. It's a little bit slower to onboard the volunteers than we'd like, but we've got some exciting news that we can't share. So in the few week, in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be ramping up our volunteer onboarding in some of our projects that we have planned for the year. So if anyone that's listening is interested in volunteering with our organization uh, or applying to be a board member, please visit the website um, diversityanddiabetes.org um, and fill out the form, the intake form online, and we'll contact you. Yes. Ooh, I like it. So, Ms. Tiara, I met you when we uh, kicked off beyond type two. Mm -hmm. Now you, did you still think that you had type two when you launched beyond type two? Yep. yep. Let's talk about that journey. Cause you are not the first woman and certainly not the first black woman I've met that has been misdiagnosed. Um, so let's, let's kind of start there and see where it goes. Yeah. Um, so I was diagnosed in, uh, 2017 with, uh, what I thought was type two put on insulin immediately and metformin. Um, and when I started at beyond type one, I thought I, I still thought I had type two diabetes. In fact, I didn't know anything about much about diabetes except for, um, diet exercise, uh, testing your blood sugar regularly. And of course, like the stigmas and stereotypes that were levied against people with type two, um, some things like CGM and pumps. I didn't know anything about that. And, uh, and part of my 
um, academic career was dedicated to type two management, but mainly from like a behavioral standpoint and nutrition standpoint. Um, it wasn't until I was sitting in a meeting, uh, a staff meeting, and my blood sugar went up to about like four something, 400 something, which was the closest um, it had been to my diagnosis blood sugar, which was in like in the five, 550s, I believe. Um, and my colleague ended up buying some ketone strips for me. And I had like small traces of ketones, which was a little unusual for someone with type two. And it, it, it all ended up working out because the next day I was going to go see an endocrinologist for the first time. I'd wanted to see one before, but it was always unaffordable for me. Um, and the endocrinologist, she just kind of guessed over email that I probably had type one because I, I, I told her my story. Um, and she said like, let's, how about we, how about we get you a gas 65 test? And my antibodies ended up being through the roof. And she said, you have type one Lada. Um, and she told me that it was, it's becoming more common to find people with type two, especially younger adults who are, who are diagnosed with type two to be actually classified, um, as a type one. And I would say like, at the time I felt kind of, I felt kind of bad because I had been immersed in the type two community. I really wanted to be like a leader for people with type for people with type two. And I felt like as a person who had been reclassified to someone with type one, I was like, is it my place to even do this kind of work? But um, what I recognized at the end of the day was like how many other people are in this same position. And it wasn't until like quite some time later that I realized like we actually have a lot more in common in fact like I, I what's different is like the level of edu of education and also like some things like insurance coverage and whatnot and what you're and what people would take to have access to but in terms of just trying to kind of grind through the day-to-day -day of of having diabetes and trying to prevent complications it's it's all the same to me yeah and that was one of the things that I was thinking um, when I was writing the article for Healthline, like I chatted with um, Eric, who's the founder of Diabetes, which is primarily a community for type one diabetics. Um, and also um, Chris Maynard, who is the founder of Glucose Survival, who makes the survival necklaces that have like glucose in the necklace. And I was just thinking, I was like, of all the people I've met that live with diabetes, none of us want to have diabetes. Like, isn't that enough of a common ground for us to start from? Like the thing that uh, really struck me and, and thank you for bringing up the stigma was like, that was the first thing that I thought of when I was diagnosed. I was also diagnosed in 2017 mm -hmm. and I got the call pulling into the airport, um, getting ready to pick up a friend I hadn't seen in a minute. And I, they answer, answer their phone and they were like, Hey, this is so-and-so from Dr. So-and-so's office. You have type two diabetes. And my first thought was like, okay, like don't wreck the car. Cause I'm driving. And like the airport is not the place to get a diagnosis for a chronic illness. But also my first, my next thought was like, I guess I can't eat bread anymore. Like I had no knowledge of what diabetes was other than the stigma that like you're fat, you're lazy, you're obese, you're a terrible, lazy, horrible human. That's who gets diabetes. And I was like, I mean, like, yeah, I'm overweight and yeah, I've been dealt a hard hand the last few years, but I don't classify myself as like stupid or lazy. Like this is, these stigmas help exactly no one. Um, and I took the whole first month after my diagnosis off social media so I could just get right with myself and like fix my nutrition plan and start some good habits as far as like moving my body goes. And that was the best gift I've ever given myself because there is so much information out there and all like lots of support groups available. The first one that I joined was the T2D Healthline app. 
Um, but I joined a couple of Facebook groups and I'm really glad I didn't do that when I was first diagnosed because there are some wild theories about how to manage diabetes and everyone's got an opinion. Yeah. So how, like, how do we, how can we as a community, like start to, let's start with like, how can we start to support each other and like start to break down these conversations? Because I mean, I don't think anybody has it worse than any other type. Like the, the thing that sucks is if you're not diagnosed and you're living with it and you don't know it, I feel like that's, that's who has it worse out of all the diabetes community members that there are. Um, but what are some, what are some thoughts you have around, like, what are you seeing in the diabetes space and, and how can we start to bridge those gaps? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the, the first thing we have to, and I'm going to say this for people with type one specifically is to stop saying like, well, you know, I didn't cause it, you know, I was, I was born with it because even though I, I think most people aren't trying to be offensive, it kind of is because people with type two also don't choose to have diabetes. And there's, there's no one cause for type two. It, it can be a combination of anything. Um, I think something else we have to have to do is for, for people with type two specifically is to assume that they're not eating a healthy diet and they don't, and they don't know how to eat. I would say in my experience, um, I've had doctors give me the pamphlets, but at the time I, I told them I was giving my master's in nutrition. I knew what I was doing, but what I could have used help with was the timing of meals, how to time insulin, when to check your blood sugar, like also things like my blood sugar may be 120 in the morning, every single morning, but, but it may change throughout the day. And no one is telling me how to read that kind of data. Um, I also think from, as a person with diabetes to other people with diabetes to not um, try to give blanket advice to someone on how to manage it, because one, you, you don't know that person. I think one, one of the things that probably um, gets on my nerves the most is uh, and you're right when, when you said people, everyone has an opinion. And in, in a lot of those groups, there's always someone who's like, read this book to, to reverse your diabetes, which is a whole topic on its own. Um, but saying like, oh, you have to go, you have to do keto. You have to do low carb. You can't have, you can't have fruit anymore. Y'all bananas um, are the, like, if you eat another banana, y'all might as well just die. Like yeah, according to so, the internet, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I don't agree with, with telling people what to do. What, what I do think people should do is ask someone, how can I support you? What kind of support do you need? And then, and then meeting them there instead of assuming that, that what worked for you would, would, uh, would work for them because every everyone's diabetes is different whether you're type one or or type two and then I think the, the last thing I'll say is um for for people with type one if you're seeing people make jokes at the expense of someone with type two you it's your responsibility to correct them um because people with type two are, are seeing are seeing it and it's and it, and it contributes to the reasons why it's harder to find type two stories and, and type two advocates compared to people with type one Casey, Quisha, any thoughts on that? I don't even want to come behind Tiara. Like you, you said so many, oh God, so many things there. First, Sydney, I will say the same thing. From so I have prediabetes, right? And I've always felt a lot of times I don't even really say that. I used to say, "Oh, I'm a nurse. I know, you know, I'll speak from the clinical aspect of things or the healthcare perspective of things because I, I feel like, oh, she's just got prediabetes. Like, what's the big deal? You know? So I always feel like you know, my 
version of chronic disease is not up to par, you know. Right, you're you're not sick enough. I'm (laughs) not sick enough, right. So I always feel like in the diabetes space, I always feel that way. Um, But I will say, I love what you said. I'm very, and if, if you've seen any of my talks, I always talk about how like I use social media because I have to. But I, when I was in the trench and really working with clients and doing diabetes education, I was in all of the groups and following all of the people. And that did not last long at all because it was like drink vinegar here and take cinnamon this and crush this and do this. And it's just too much. It's, and so honestly, when, you know, you sent the invite and said the topic of the discussion is like, how can we create unity in the diabetes space? I don't even put myself in the diabetes space that much to even know that there was that much of a division. Like, you know, Casey and I have talked about, you know, diversity in diabetes is going to be the entire spectrum of diabetes from the person that's trying to prevent. So someone like myself who has prediabetes to the person that has type one, LADA, you know, maybe you had an injury or something to your pancreas or whatever to, to type two, if I didn't say that already. Like the entire spectrum, because we understand, just like Tiara said beautifully, that everyone's diabetes is different. Even if everybody on this call has type 1 diabetes, it's still going to be different. And so for me, I try not to lose faith in, 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 in humans, um, but I, I will say we've got to be a little bit more empathetic and understanding of individuals and their situations. You never know what the backstory is. And I think that social media allows people to kind of be braver than they would be face to face and to say things like, oh, you need to lose weight or, oh, you need to, but you never know what's going on in a person's life. And I have a mother that eats like a bird, but she is, you know, a a plump woman. And she's like, I don't get it. I eat, I barely eat anything, but that's her genetic makeup. Thanks mom, I got it too. And you know, those are things that people don't understand. Like, you know, I, I love that your organization is hiking my feelings before I broke my ankle a year ago. I was an avid hiker. You can tell by my genetic makeup, by looking at me. But guess what? I did and I loved it. So, yeah, we've got to be a lot more empathetic. We've got to be more understanding. And we've got to understand that regardless of where you are on the spectrum, even if you share the same diagnosis, the same exact diabetes diagnosis, it's still going to be a different struggle, a different journey, a different experience um, because everyone's diabetes is different. Also a hiker, love hiking. Yes. Again, like Quisha, like you, you wouldn't tell if like just by, by looking at me that that's a, something I love to do. And yeah. also I want to touch on like the, the pre-diabetes aspect there. Um, pre-diabetes is, in my opinion, just as important as type two diabetes because it's a precursor to that. Um, and that is the, that is a time where you probably have the most control to prevent type two diabetes and it type two is, is a, a epidemic. So we need more people like, like Quisha to come on and say, I have pre-diabetes and I need as many resources as possible. But even then it's, it's hard to find people who are even to come out and say, and say that, because as soon as you say that people look at you and they're like, well, you are, you are a little overweight. Have you yeah. tried to lose weight? And I think weight is, <laughs> weight is no kidding. Enough. If you haven't tried, like, come on. But, but like weight stigma is so real in diabetes. And, and I wish that, that as a community, we stopped focusing on only weight as the, uh, as, as, as the mode of, of changing your health. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many, how many times I hear from women, especially women of color, especially black women who say that their doctors always default to weight and they never look for anything else. A hundred percent of the time. 
I've had my blood pressure rechecked so many times because they're like, oh, it's that, it's that low. It's that, no, it's, it's always 90 over 70. You don't have to recheck it. I know I'm, I know I'm obese according to, you know, your standards, but it's, it's always good. <laughs> the face. Conditions. I'm, I'm good here yep same I'll, I'll always I'll, I'm, I'm always told I'm like clin- clinically obese but my my blood my blood sugar is fine my blood pressure is fine and I'm otherwise super healthy but they're like yeah. you can stand losing food pounds I'm like but what if I don't first of all what if I don't want to have yeah. this conversation, yeah. Yeah, have that conversation. Yeah. I'm sorry I look like sure. a stick figure with a big head I don't want to be that little sorry yeah. like, oh, like, <laughs> JC we just got <laughs> took over the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I'm like, yes, ma'am, y'all are beautiful. <laughs> but um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about like um, from the type one perspective of creating unity um, and just like the, the mental battle I personally had to go through because so I was diagnosed when I was seven. So I was young and um, a lot of people, you know, would say to my parents, oh, like, I mean, she doesn't look like she has diabetes. She like, does she just eat a lot of sugar, like growing up? Like they said all of these. And so, you know, with us hearing that all the time, that puts a division between like my type one and, you know, a person I see who has type two. And so growing up, I was always saying like, oh no, I, you know, I didn't do this to myself. Like I was that person who was like, no, I didn't do this to myself. I, I just, I got it, you know, it's autoimmune disease, blah, blah, like the whole spiel. Um, But I I think what I realized is um, the problem of where the division comes from is just the the lack, I'm so sorry, my pump is like yelling at me, Um, is just the lack of um, knowledge that the public has in general. Um, And so then it just keeps feeding from the community, hearing that from the public. But whenever we finally change our mindset in the community, then we can change the mindset to the public. And I know that's going, I mean, to be a huge work, but it starts from within the community that they see unity amongst, you know, type ones, type twos, LADA, um, gestational, um, you know, everyone living with any type of diabetes. When they see unity within the community, then, you know, the knowledge, the general public knowledge will change eventually. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's kind of one of those things like we have to model how we want to be treated in a way like, Mm -hmm. and if we can't get out of each other's way, and if we can't get out of our own way, then it's really hard to command the kind of respect that other disease states get from funding, research, corporations, etc. That was one of the things that I wrote like the opening line to the article that I wrote for Healthline was like, would you rather have $123 million or 1.5? Because there's like 1.5 million people in America with type one, 122 plus um, when you put all of us together, like which group's going to be louder if you're in a crowd and there's 123 million people, like that's going to be way louder than 1.5. And that's not to discredit any one type of diabetes, but like think about what's possible if we like band together, like from a policy perspective, from a research funding perspective, like there should be no stop to what is possible, especially coming out of COVID with the different implications of being diabetic and your risk for having more severe symptoms or risk of contracting it, like whatever the case may be, there's like, it just, it seems like a no brainer. So like what, one of the things, and I wanted to touch on this too, um, when we were talking about like the causes of diabetes and stuff like that, 
So one of the questions that we're looking to answer on our tour this year, um, because this was my personal experience, and I'd love to hear if this is relatable or if this like lights any light bulb moments for you, is so I was diagnosed um, September 2017, type 2 diabetes. I started hiking as part of my um, uh, diabetes management plan. Well, I started walking around my neighborhood. My doctor was like, walk 30 minutes a day if you can, five days a week. I was like, cool, I can do that. So I did that and it was hard at first. I was 80 pounds heavier than I was today. And my doctor was also like, please lose the weight. And I was like, okay, cool, thank you. Um, and I had been on a journey to like learn how to love my body. And I loved my body at almost 200 pounds. I was like, I am sexy. I am short and I am thick and I love it. And also I went on a backpacking trip and I was so uncomfortable and I was really slow and just a tremendous amount of pain. I was also wildly out of shape. And so I was like, I don't want my body to be the thing that gets in the way. If you need to handle your thing, I'm please so do. <laughs> like you are like eat if you need to, <laughs> it's all good. Um, but yeah, I was like, I, I want to be good at this. And so for me, like my, my journey to love my body and like be comfortable in my own skin happened in tandem with my diabetes diagnosis, which like talk about a mind bender, like I'm learning how to manage my health. I'm learning how to like eat stuff. And now my doctor's telling me to lose weight in this body that I just got comfortable being in. I was like, I'm sorry, you want me to do what? Like I'm down to do it, but it's just so weird. And so for me, I was going through this phase of like, I'm doing the lifestyle changes. I'm taking my medicine. I'm doing this walking. The weight is literally melting off my body. And so the thing that was concerning to me was like, why is this so easy? Because I've been trying to lose weight my entire life and it has just not ever happened. Like I tried all the diets I did. I exercised obsessively. Like it just wasn't going down. And what I realized was thanks to hiking, I was getting off my device. Like I would go for a walk in the morning and I wasn't scrolling through social media. I wasn't listening to podcasts. I wasn't listening to audiobooks. It was just me and the sound of the world around me. And then I could start to hear my inner voice. And my inner voice was saying some pretty nasty stuff. She was not a kind woman. My inner monologue was atrocious. And so hiking became this like really healing way for me to get in touch with myself and like heal my trauma and understand my past wounds and my past experiences. And so I was doing another backpacking trip and now I was like, I had lost 60 pounds. I'm starting to like reduce the amount of metformin I'm taking. I'm feeling great. Like this new body is weird. Like I have to buy all new clothes. I just got a really cute wardrobe for my bigger body. And now I need to go buy new clothes. Like this is inconvenient and rude, but like, yay for my health results. And so I'm walking across this Island and I realized like when I was standing at the top of a mountain, I was thinking to myself. I should be freaking out. I just quit two jobs in the span of five months. I'm a newly diagnosed diabetic. And I, now I don't have health insurance. Cause I just left my jobs where my health insurance was provided. Like, why am I so calm? And I realized I was like, Oh, like instead of eating and drinking my feelings, thanks to diabetes. Cause I made these changes. Now I'm hiking my feelings. Like I'm not eating Ben and Jerry's for breakfast. I'm not drinking a bottle of wine to myself every night. So I was wondering like, why did I start eating and drinking my feelings to begin with? And then I was like, Oh, well, I was sexually assaulted in college. I never told anybody. And for 11 years, Ben and Jerry's for breakfast and a bottle of wine to myself at night was how I got through it. That's how I survived. I was a workaholic that drove my stress through the roof, like all of the things. And I was like, oh, okay. So in my case, for my lived experience, like, yes, there are a ton of factors, genetic predisposition, environmental, but like I grew up 
or I was diagnosed. I had this sexual assault. I didn't tell anybody. I had these unhealthy coping mechanisms that certainly informed part of my diagnosis. But when I was diagnosed, I was also making six figures. I had platinum healthcare benefits provided by my employer. My boss was awesome. and didn't care if I had to take off time to go to the, go to the doctor. And I grew up in an area or I was living in an area in Southern California where fresh local organic produce is available for like pennies on the dollar in abundance. So when I'm thinking about diabetes, the question that I'm trying to answer is like, is tr- what is the relationship between trauma and diabetes? Because for me, that was the big leader into this whole world for me. I'm new at this, the, the diabetes stuff, I'm new in the outdoor space. But when we were on the road in 2019, one of the things I heard from a ton of people, black, indigenous, people of color, LGBTQIA+, all of these folks were saying, hey, I don't feel safe represented or welcome in the outdoors. And then I'm doing research for the Take a Hike Diabetes Campaign. And the people that say that are from the same communities that have the highest prevalence of diabetes. So in my mind, I'm like, I know there's a lot of nuance to this. And I know there are so many people invested in our sickness that it's going to be really hard to connect these dots, but it is really simple. In my mind, if we can get people feeling safe, out, safe outside, having access to outdoor recreation, community health will improve. And so that's where I'm trying to go is like, what's the relationship between trauma and diabetes and how do we get more people outside so they can have these healing experiences in nature? So from a trauma perspective, I mean, just like oppression, systemic racism, colonization, like these communities have been through so much in your mind, like, and especially in your clinical experience for Quisha, like, what have you seen as far as like the, that relationship, like between trauma and diabetes, is there one? And, and if so, what's that looking like out there? So I'm not going to say there is a relationship between trauma and diabetes. I'm going to say there is a relationship between chronic stress and chronic disease, yes. which basically is the, basically the same thing that you're saying now. And so what you just described is why I believe in what's called trauma-informed care. I don't know if you know about that approach that Um, has been popular in like the last year or two. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, And as you were telling that story, it made me think about a a, a client or patient. I was in a community diabetes program, but she came in and she was like, the doctor told me I need to start walking just like you, 30 minutes, five days a week. And he was like, does he know where I live? Like I live in the projects. I can't just go outside and go walking. And so there, and I think Tiara mentioned it earlier, there's so many factors like there, you know, we can tell a person, you know, oh, eat this, eat that. Can they afford it? You know, go. Do they even have access? Like if you grew up in a food swamp or a food desert, good luck. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) And so, yes, long, you know, short answer. Yes, there is a correlation, I believe, between chronic, chronic, chronic stress uh, and trauma and all chronic diseases, not just diabetes, but most most definitely. I think you wanted to say something, Tiara. Um, I was just co-signing what, 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 oh. what you were saying. Like, I mean, like I, I, I think of, you know, chronic illnesses like diabetes or even, even things like heart disease or heart, or hypertension, they are, they are the result of socioeconomic and environmental issues. Just going back to what and you- generations of it, yeah. And generations of it, like, and that, and this is this is going to kind of come back to what the diabetes community can do. And this is why I'm saying like, you don't know what someone is going through. You don't know what their situation is like because their priority may not be taking care of their diabetes. Their their priority may be just trying to put food on the table. And if that means going going some getting something off the dollar menu, then that's what they're going to do. 
So trying to force just one singular way, it's, it's, it is, um, it's not, it's not coming from a place of empathy. It's really coming from like, you know, your own, your own agenda and also your own, your own privilege. If yeah. I'm being frank. Seriously. Yeah. No, for real. <laughs> I remember time. I was, uh, sorry to cut you off, Sydney. I remember I was, um, I was coaching a, a client and I said, well, didn't you notice the red flags? And I can't remember what exactly the context of the question was. And I said, you, did you notice the red flags that we were talking about, like her coping skills and resiliency? And she said, you don't see red flags when you live in a red world. And it literally blew me back. I was like, excuse the hell out of, out of you, Quisha. Like, and it really changed the perspective. Like, just like you said, Tiara, some people are day by day, you know, what if I'm a single mother and I have, you know, three or four kids, I don't have any help, I don't have any support. That diabetes management is going on the back burner. That weight loss is going on the back burner. Whether or not I do have a safe environment, whether or not, you know, I do have the money to buy food. Do I even have time to prep it? A lot of times, like, from, that is that is my issue. I know what to eat. I don't have a master's. I'm not going for my master's in nutrition like TI. I know what to eat. I teach people what to eat. I teach people what to do. I don't have to. I can't put it in my schedule. You know, I have to. Sometimes I'm better than others. But again, I always go back to empathy. Like, you don't know what people are going through. You don't know what they're experiencing. You don't know their past trauma. Um, like you mentioned, so all of those things you have, people have to take into account. Right. And that, and also like things like um, how, how we talk about when it comes to like treating diabetes, like I know the, the focus is a lot of it is, is on insulin in the diabetes community, but it's much more than that. Like something like Ozempic or Trulicity, it costs hundreds of dollars. And there are plenty of people with type two diabetes who could benefit from that, especially those like who are unfortunately still being threatened with going on insulin or uh, or afraid to go on it for whatever reason, there are other drug um, classes of drugs that are completely unaffordable to for for a bunch of people. So like there's just there's so many intersecting battles. But I really feel like from a type two perspective, there's so much that just doesn't get said because yeah. there's usually one focus on one central issue. And especially if you can't be an advocate for yourself, because I will say I remember when I was in grad school and I just wouldn't tell my doctor, look, I'm a nurse. I know all about diabetes. I'm not eating good. I'm working full time. I'm going, I'm, you know, I'm almost done with grad school. We're about to move to Texas. Can you put me on some Trulicity, please? Because I know I'm not going to do right. And, you know, I'm comfortable being an advocate for myself, but there are so many patients that don't even, they don't even know what they don't know. And so right. that's one of the things right. that we want to focus on um, with diversity and diabetes is really encouraging our, you know, patients and the general public to be advocates, to ask questions. Do I really need to be on this? If I don't, if I don't take this medication, what will happen? Are there any other alternatives? Okay. Are there any other cheaper alternatives? And just get those, um, get the conversation going because a lot of times, especially I know in the black community, it's like, yeah, he put me on this, but what does it do? I don't know. He just put me on it. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that was one of the things yeah, that was one of the things when I was first diagnosed is like, they're, they're like, hi, you have type two diabetes. Uh, there's a glucometer waiting for you at the pharmacy along with a prescription for metformin. I was like, you want to tell me anything about what I'm doing and how to manage this disease? Like, thank you for the prescription, but like, I'm not comfortable starting a medication until we talk about what it's supposed to do and why I'm taking it. And then we went in and fortunately the hospital where I was uh, a patient at at the time had incredible diabetes education program. And it was like, absolutely amazing. 
but like my second visit to the doctor, they were like, hi, so yeah, like we'd like to put you on XYZ for cholesterol and everything else. And I was like, I, I literally just implemented like a radical lifestyle change. Do you think it might be possible for me to not take another medication for a second? Yeah. Like just give me like three months to get this wrapped up and see if my nutrition plan will resolve it. And cause we caught mine early. I'm young. I was never like blood sugar in anything like 300, 400, 500. Like I, I was fortunate that we got it early, but man, I tell you what it's, I appreciate all of the technology and all of the medications and all of the advances that are available today. And also there has got to be some better education for patients um, and just making them aware of what the options are and like teaching people how to talk to a doctor. And especially for black women, like I know Mila experiences, Tiara, I know you've mentioned it too, but like the racism situation in healthcare, just like not even being believed when you go to the doctor, like how are you supposed to get anything done in that situation? I mean, I guess the simple solution would be to say to get another doctor, but like, what if you don't have that, that option? Um, I, I, I'm going to use someone else who's close to me who, um, who actually has gone through this, um, but she's had to just rely on online resources and people close to her like me who know. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, you have people who, who, don't, who don't have that. And for that, I don't have a good answer for that. Um, it, sometimes you just have to go on go on Google and, and rely on support groups, but also part of the danger of that is a lot of misinformation too, because you're you're pretty much vulnerable at that point. Well, I think Casey, because you mentioned part of your program, um, the leader of the program, one of the things that you said was that there's a big emphasis on the language that people use. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that? I know. I used to be like, I'm diabetic. And then then people are like, or you could say people with diabetes. And I was like, oh, thank you for the correction. Like that sounds way better, but like, I'm new, I have no idea. So what are some, what are some examples of um, how language can help us like find some unity in this community? Yeah, for sure. So um, I kind of heard Tiara say one, um, you know, lifestyle changes instead of saying that, say health behaviors, because I mean, like y'all have said, there are some people who just can't afford um, to make this amazing, very nutritious meal all the time. And so that is a lifestyle and they can't change that. And so um, just that is one. um, And something as simple as changing, um, testing your blood sugar, um, to checking it, um, just because testing, it it puts this like stressful emphasis on it. And so, um, pass fail where you're like, Oh, great. I'm outside of the range. I must suck at life. One more thing. Yeah. We, I mean, we definitely need to like change that narrative to make it seem like this is just a number. I'm just looking at it to see what I need to do to feel as, you know, best as I can feel. Um, I think that was probably, and I, I say this a lot when people ask me about my, my specific journey in managing this disease is like, my doctor made it very easy to understand. Like I've seen charts of like all the factors that affect blood sugar and you're like, Oh my Lord, someone hold me. That is a lot of things to manage. Yeah. Um, but she narrowed it down and she like gave me, she said it was food, medicine, exercise, and stress. And there's lots of things that fit into all of those. But that quadrant saved my life. Like I would check my blood sugar in the morning. I had my target ranges. Like I had a little post-it by my computer and I checked my blood sugar and I was like, okay, 
here's what the number is. And then I'm like, okay, what did I eat yesterday? Did I take, take my medications on time and as prescribed? Did I move my body? How am I doing with the stress management? And that quadrant, like I became just a little data analyst. I was like, I checked my blood sugar like five or six times a day when I first got diagnosed. I was like, I'm going to try something before I eat. I'm going to eat it. And then I'm going to test it again. And I did that like menu item by menu item, like ingredient by ingredient. Um, and it was just like the biggest blessing because then within that, there was no judgment. Like what you said, like even yeah. check versus test, like I never even thought about it as a test. I was like, I'm just checking because if I, it gives me information that I can work with. And yeah, Quisha, she did teach me how to problem solve. Absolutely. hundred percent. And that's, that's a big empowerment part from a patient perspective. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I thought Michelle had her hand up or maybe she just, maybe I think she was clapping. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know, Sydney, more about your tour. You alluded to a tour that you're going on. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, of course. Um, we actually just kind of did like our first little announcement before you joined. So, um, we have three components of the take a hike diabetes campaign. The overarching mission is that we want to raise uh, hike 1 million miles together as a community, um, for diabetes awareness. So the people that we meet, like, and when I say our community, it's not like our community is huge. Like we have like 6,000 followers on Instagram and a couple hundred people in a social media group and like a thousand on a mailing list. Like we're not some big, huge organization. So it's our community and all our friends we haven't met yet. So, um, we have a 30 day program that, uh, ties into that, that offers some resources for, um, the, the three of the four areas that I feel comfortable offering suggestions for. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not touching the medicine side of things, but the um, nutrition, exercise, and stress reduction, we offer like tips and tricks for that. And then the tour part is um, we are highlighting and uh, we're doing three urban backpacking adventures because what I found was I was able to get like super clear and process like the trauma that informed the coping mechanisms that contributed to my diagnosis when I was hiking. So I want everybody and their mother to be able to hike as much as humanly possible, wherever they want. And for us, hiking isn't necessarily a walk up a mountain. Like you have, we all have a picture in our mind of what a hike is, but for me, a hike is a walk with intention of enjoying yourself and curiosity of the world around you, which can happen in an urban environment, on a trail, all the way out in the back country. Um, so our tour is, is selfishly, I'm curious to see if I can find the same healing vibes that I find all the way out in the backcountry in an urban environment. Um, so the first trip that we're doing, um, and we chose urban backpacking trails one, because we want to showcase that you can go and find the healing power of nature in the city where you work, live and play. You don't have to go all the way out to a state park or national park. Um, you don't have to drive for hours because not everybody has transportation. And so we're starting in Chicago. Um, there's a great um, organization called the Outer Belt Alliance that was founded by a civil rights and environmental attorney from the South side. His name is Jay Reddy. Um, and he, his, uh, he was diagnosed with, or he was, you know, diagnosed with prediabetes. Um, hiking and walking is a great way that he manages it. And he wanted to bring outdoor recreation to the communities around Chicago. So they connected 220 miles of existing pedestrian walkways, trails, green spaces, um, and forest preserves to create the Chicago Outer Belt. So it starts at Buckingham Fountain. It goes down Lakeshore Avenue, down through the South Side suburbs, up the Des Plaines River Trail, and then up through the Northern suburbs, and then back down Lakeshore. And all of the trail is accessible via public transportation. So anybody that can get on a bus or get on the L train can get to this trail and join us for that. 
Um, and so what we're doing while we're walking is like the question I'm trying to understand is like, what is the relationship between trauma and diabetes or to your point, chronic stress and chronic illness. Um, and as we go, like there are so many wonderful people who are doing incredible work in this space. So we're inviting them to join us on the trail and then doing interviews. Like we have a film crew, um, the film crew that did our production for health magazine last year, living with diabetes, which was partnered with Trulicity, um, is coming on this tour with us. So we can interview policymakers, community leaders, organizers, advocates, um, and the brands and organizations who are either working out, make the outdoors more inclusive or supporting the local diabetes community. Sometimes those overlap currently not a lot of overlap. And that's why I'm here. I'm like, hi, hello, I'm going to build a table. Y'all can sit here. And then we're just going to pass the mic around and talk about how great we are at what we do and make the world a better place. <laughs> so, um, so we start in Chicago and that's, um, June 1st through the 20th. And then we're hiking across this, across the entire state of Michigan. So we're going from, um, uh, Lake Michigan across to Detroit and they have a, uh, that's in partnership with the Michigan trails and greenways Alliance. And they have built trails, um, next to the Amtrak, like, uh, stage they're the Amtrak like trail or train <laughs> um and in these like that goes through all these different communities rural into urban downtown Detroit um and so they have the lake to lake trail and then the iron bell trail and the cool thing that I'm really excited about in Detroit is they have this um this community center called the outdoor adventure center and they take up north, which if you're not from Michigan, up north is where the wilderness is, down south is where it ain't. So they bring up north into the city and the inside, so they're working with the kids in Detroit um, to teach them about like how to set up a tent. Um, here's what a beaver lodge looks like. You can like try on eagle wings on an eagle nest exhibit. Um, and it's this whole thing to like get inner city youth used to the experience of the outdoors and then they lead trips and stuff like that. Um, so doing some activities with the, um, folks there and just like having them come take a walk with us. Cause it's like kids and families, um, have them come take a walk with us into the Belle Isle park. And then hopefully like, and we're still working on details, but like have everybody just set up tents in this park and like have this awesome outdoorsy experience. And then our final, um, stop on the tour, we're working on coordinating some stuff in new England that hasn't been confirmed yet for August, but our final stop on this year's tour is a. Um, I think it's like 40 or 50 miles. We're doing a walk around Washington, DC. Um, and I just learned that the ADA doesn't have an office there anymore because of COVID, everything shut down. But the idea was to connect with folks from the ADA, Joslyn Diabetes Center, um, and Healing Our Village, which is in Ward 7. And Ward 7 and 8 in Washington, DC have a, diabetes, a prevalence of diabetes nearly twice the national average. Um, and where we end on day four of that adventure to get to healing our village, like we literally, we can't walk there right now. So the Capital Trails Coalition is our partner for this event and they're working, they manage like 400 something miles of trails in the DC metro area. And they're bringing, um, like they're working to, to like literally build a bridge um, from where we stop on day four to where we wanna go on day five. Cause as of right now, there is no safe way for us to walk. And it's not just like, it's a rough neighborhood. It's not safe for us to walk. Like you literally cannot walk from one place to the other. So um, just which further emphasizes the importance of the work that they're doing because they're trying to make communities more walkable to improve community health and make their urban spaces a little bit more accessible for folks on foot. So um, that's the tour in a nutshell. And when, is, and when does it start? We start in June and then we wrap up in September, but we're coming through Texas on our way home. So we better go do a walk. Ooh, awesome. <laughs> All right. That's exciting. Where can... 
um, people find more information? Um, so we have all of our information at hikingmyfeelings.org slash diabetes. Can you be my co-host and just keep interviewing me? I know, right? <laughs> as soon as I said that, I was like, Quisha, this is not your. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. I love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. So my last question um, before we transition into our group gratitude circle um, is for each of you, and we can kind of go around the, um, the circle here. There is a lot going on in the world between the stuff that happened on Tuesday in Atlanta, George Floyd and everything last year, the diabetes space in general, the world is a wild, wild place. Um, if you had a magic wand and you could wave it over the world, what would that fix and or what would people be more aware of um, if you could do that? If anybody wants to volunteer to go first, you can, or otherwise I'll call on you. Cause I know- I'll go first. Hit it, all right. I've thought about this before. A couple of years ago, God, it's been five years now. I did my um, DNA ancestry. And uh, I was like, oh, I have three, 13% Caucasian in me. And my mother said, that's where that curly hair comes from. But I thought everybody should do this because people are so, oh, my family is Irish and oh, we're Dutch. You know, we're that like, no, nobody is a hundred percent anything. And I think if people realize like, there's probably some Indian in you. There's probably some black in you. You know, we're a lot more, we have a lot more in common than people actually understand. And I think it should be mandatory. Like at a certain age, you get your DNA test. So if you realize that, you know, there you're made up of so many different ethnicities, mm -hmm. I think it would allow people to have more empathy toward other races and cultures and understanding. So that's in a perfect world, but that's kind of, that's kind of where I, what I think would be a good idea. I like that one. That's smart. I should do that. I think my sister did it. Yeah. Nothing surprising on mine. Nordic, Switzerland, <laughs> or Finland, Norway, Norway. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> uh, Tiara, Casey, how about you? Man, like, that's a, that's a hard question. Um, I guess for me, it will be like everyone has access to as much food, fresh or even processed as they, as they want, um, have it be completely free, but also have the tools to make it and get like free classes and resources to learn how to cook. Because what Keisha, what Keisha said earlier about time, that is so real. So um, I want people to be able to have access to all of those things. Yes, that would yeah. be game changer. And that's the thing, like the time and just like the different barriers to diabetes management. Like if you're a single mom and you're working three jobs to keep food on the table, you don't have time to exercise and you probably don't have time to cook, right? Like there's so many different things that, that can interrupt that. So I love that one too. Casey, how about you? Um, I've been trying, I'm glad I went last because I'm just trying to think there's like so many things. Um, but I guess if everyone had the power to just feel empowered, um, to be able, I mean, because once you feel empowered, you're able to advocate and you're able to be curious about different things to be able to find the resources that are available. Because I mean, like y'all said, what you don't know, you don't know. And so sometimes people don't even know they should be looking for anything or asking these questions. So to give everyone the confidence and the power to just be curious. 
Yes. Ooh, that's a good one. All right. Um, so what we'll do now, everybody that wants to participate in the group gratitude circle, go ahead and turn on your cameras. Um, so ladies, if you're unfamiliar, we like to end all of our events at hiking my feelings with a group gratitude circle, because we talk about a lot of heavy stuff here. Um, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's like, whew, that's a lot. Um, so we always like to end with gratitude because it's a really, it's my favorite way to pull myself out of a funk when I'm dark and twisty, um, and a really great way to just kind of get recentered before we leave. But, um, I invited our friend, Jess, one of our community members, um, to join us tonight. She has a spoken word piece that she'd like to share. So I figured we could all witness that. Um, and then we'll jump into the group gratitude circle after she's completed it. So Jess hit it, take it away. Thank you so much. <clears throat> called Masquerade. Do you know the question? Can you hear the lie? What you thought was the beginning was actually goodbye. Do you know the falsehood that once covered my face? Can you understand the bricks it took to put it all into place? Do you know the masquerade? Do you know the dance? It's not at all the prettiest thing not a bit of that sweet romance. I want to bear my soul again. I want to take off the mask. To be genuine is such a risk, not sure if up to the task. Surrounded by my friends now, free to be me finally. Love and truth is our strength and a bit of vulnerability. A chance to sing, a chance to happy dance and rejoice in each other's success a chance to put aside what makes us different, a chance to let out the mess. Lessons learning day by day as the stories they unfold. Mysteries surrounding us, telling our truths untold. So we'll dance our dance and walk our walks and see how far we can get. The important part is not the goal. It's that we never quit. Love you, Jess. Thank you. Um, so, Casey, uh, Tiara, and Quisha, where can people find you before we jump into gratitude? Because I completely missed the boat on that. <laughs> where can they find you? What are you uh, excited about, and how uh, can people get involved? Um, they can find us diversity at diabetes, diversity in diabetes.org, uh, on Instagram. We're also on Twitter. Um, check out the website to see how you can be and in, get involved as a volunteer or a board member. Uh, and I'm grateful to be able to do this work, right? Um, I mean, we're, we're in our infancy as far as the organization, Casey and I have only known each other for a year. And I mean, we've really, you can't tell by looking at our social media because we're, we're kind of building a plane and flying at the same time, but we've really got some really great um, irons in the fire. So really grateful to be able to do this work. Thank you all for having me tonight. Yes. Tiara, how about you? Uh, you can find me at beyondtype2.org, especially if you're looking for uh, stories from people with type 2 diabetes or just practical, easy resources for people with type 2 diabetes. Um, me and my team, we, we, we love being advocates for the, for the diabetes community. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, you can also find me at uh, TR Talks on Instagram 
Um, you can also find Beyonce too on Instagram and Facebook. Please follow us there. Um, and I would say I um, echo and Kreisha, like I'm, I'm grateful to be in this space and um, really grateful for the connections that I've made, like with Casey and Kreisha and of course you, Sydney, um, because all of you make this space so much better. Um, and I feel like, I know we talked a lot about how we can come together, but the reality is that there are so many of us who who are on that path and there are so many great people in the diabetes community and I'm just really happy to be part of it. So, yep. Yes. And also thank you for, um, for inviting me on, on this panel. I really appreciate yeah. it. I love the tour. I don't know if like, if it counts, but I'm definitely going hiking. I don't know if it's part of the, the actual tour, but I would love to just take a photo and say, Hey, I'm hiking and then tag hiking my feelings as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, and we're going to be up in the Bay area the first week of April. So I owe you an email so we can actually oh, hug sweet. it out. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Yay. And Casey, how about you? Where can people find you? Um, same as Quisha with uh, diversity and diabetes on Instagram. Um, my personal diabetes Instagram is type one tools. If y'all wanted to find me there. Um, but definitely look us up on diversity and diabetes. Thank you for joining us around the virtual campfire. Sometimes we talk about heavy topics. Sometimes we tell poop stories. But regardless of what we've discussed, we always like to end the show on a high note. At the end of our live broadcasts, we invite our community to share what they're grateful for in a segment called the Group Gratitude Circle. Every week, I'm thankful for you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy life to connect with us and witness these stories of hope, healing, and inspiration in the outdoors. If you'd like to gather with us around the campfire live each week, join the Hiking My Feelings virtual campfire VIPs. If this were a legit talk show, you'd be sitting in our studio audience. We haven't been picked up by a major network yet, so for now, we gather on Zoom. Here, you can connect with the community before and after the broadcast, hang out for sound check when we have musical guests, participate in the Q&A, join in on the group gratitude circle, and be eligible to receive prizes and gifts from our sponsors, partners, and guests. Learn more and join us at hikingmyfeelings.org campfire. Don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, and anyone else who could use a dose of community and connection. Follow us on Instagram, we're at hikingmyfeelings, and you can tag your journey with hashtag hikingmyfeelings. And if you're picking up what we're putting down and you want to be part of this movement, join the Hiking My Feelings family at family.hikingmyfeelings.org. In case nobody told you lately, you are a brilliant human who is destined to do epic things in this world. Join us next week for more stories of hope, healing, and inspiration in the outdoors. Until then, happy trails!